we present Monkey. An abridged translation of the great Chinese classic Journey to the West, written by Wu Chung-un, translated by Arthur Whaley, and narrated by Bob Jones. Chapter 25 The king's tears gushed like a fountain all the time till darkness fell. How can you be so deluded, said Monkey, coming up to him. Have you not seen that the first immortal's corpse showed him to have been merely a tiger? The second has turned out to be a common deer. And if you have the bones of the third fished out of the cauldron, you'll find that he was nothing but a ram, the bones of which could never be mistaken for those of any human being. All of them were bewitched wild animals who came here plotting your destruction. But seeing that your ascendancy was still strong, they did not dare lay hands upon you. In a year or two, when your ascendancy will be on the wane, they would have taken your life and stolen all your streams and hills. Luckily for you, we came in time to save you from these monsters. Why then should you weep? Make haste to give us our passports and send us on our way. The king, on hearing this, began to come to his senses, and soon afterwards his officers approached him. Your majesty, they said, it is indeed the fact that a ram's bones have been found at the bottom of the cauldron. This holy Buddhist's words must be accepted as truth. I must confess, said the king, that I am grateful to him. But it is late. You, my chief minister, must invite these priests to spend the night in the temple of the Pool of Knowledge. Early tomorrow, make ready the eastern tower of the palace and tell my stewards to prepare a meatless banquet that may repay them for their great achievement. Next day, at his morning court, the king ordered a decree to be promulgated summoning all Buddhists to the city, and it was displayed at all four gates in every street. Then Tripitaka and the rest were summoned to the eastern tower and were entertained at a great feast. When the fugitive Buddhists heard that a decree had been displayed, summoning them back to their homes, they came in high delight, looking everywhere for Monkey for they wished to thank him and hand back the hairs that he had given them for their protection. When the feast was over and the passports had been put in order, the king and queen, with all the ladies of the court and officials, military and civil, escorted Tripitaka and the rest to the gates of the palace. What should they find there but a crowd of priests kneeling at the side of the street, crying, Great sage, our father! We are the priests who were in durance at the sandy cliff. Hearing that you had destroyed the fiends and worked our deliverance, also that our king had issued a mandate calling back all Buddhists, we have come to give you back your hairs and express our thanks. How many are you? asked Monkey. Father, they said, of the five hundred, not half a one is missing. 
Monkey, with a twist of his body, resumed the hairs, and, addressing himself to all present, he said, It was I who released these priests, it was I who destroyed the carts, and it was I who slew the two taskmasters. Now the whole pest has been extirpated, and you see with your own eyes that Buddhism is the true way. Never again follow false doctrines, nor follow foolish courses, but know that the three religions are one. Reverence priests, reverence Taoists too, and cultivate the faculties of man. I will see to it that these hills and streams are safe for ever. The king bowed his assent, confessing the deepest gratitude, and then escorted Tripitaka well beyond the city walls. They travelled on for many days, and autumn had already come when late one evening Tripitaka reined in his horse and said, Disciple, where are we going to halt tonight? Master, said Monkey, that is a question for ordinary men to ask, not for such pilgrims as we. Wherein lies the difference? asked Tripitaka. Ordinary people at this hour, said Monkey, are hugging their children or cuddling their wives in soft beds under warm coverlets, lying snug and comfortable as you please. But how can we pilgrims expect any such thing? By moonlight or starlight on we must go, supping on the air and braving the wet, so long as the road lasts. Brother, said Pigsy, you know your side of the question, but not mine. These roads are very hilly, and with such a load as I am carrying, it's difficult going. I must find somewhere to get a bit of sleep and refresh myself, or I shan't be able to manage this load tomorrow. We'll go on a bit further while the moon is still up, said Monkey, and if we come to a house, we'll stop. They had not gone far before they heard a noise of water. Here we are, said Pigsy. This is as far as the road goes. There's a great river right in front of us, said Sandy. We don't know whether it's deep or shallow, said Pigsy. I'll find out. Think what you're saying, Pigsy, said Tripitaka. How can you find out whether water is deep? by throwing a stone the size of a duck's egg into the middle, said Pigsy. If there is a splash and foam comes up, that means it's shallow. If it goes down, 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 with a gurgling sound, that means it is deep. Pigsy found a stone and threw it in. As it went down to the bottom, there was a gurgling sound and bubbles rose. It's very deep indeed, cried Pigsy. We can't go on. You found out that it's deep, said Tripitaka, but we still don't know how wide it is. True enough, said Pigsy. Wait here, said Monkey, while I go and have a look. He sprang into the air and peered with steady eyes. A vast expanse of water spread out in the moonlight. It seemed to go on forever. 
There was no trace of a further shore. Master, he said, lowering his cloud, it's very wide. You know that I have fiery, steely eyes, and even by night can see five hundred leagues, but now I cannot see the further shore. How can I measure how wide it is? Dear disciple, what then are we to do? said Tripitaka, sobs choking his words. Master, said Sandy, don't break down. Isn't that a man that I see standing over there by the water? It looks to me like a fisherman dragging his nets. I'll go and talk to him, said Monkey. He had not gone far when there loomed up in front of him not a man, but a stone monument. On it was written, The River That Leads to Heaven, and in smaller writing below, The Way Across is Eight Hundred Leagues. Few are those that have reached the far side. Come over here and look, said Monkey. When Tripitaka read the inscription, he burst again into tears. Disciple, he sobbed. When I left the capital, I thought it an easy matter to go to India. Little I knew that at every turn demons would bar my path, and endless rivers and mountains have to be crossed. Listen, said Pigsy, isn't that the sound of symbols? Somewhere priests are being feasted. If we get there in time, we shall be able to join in the feast. Perhaps they will be able to tell us if there is a ford anywhere, or a ferry, so that tomorrow we can get across. Tripitaka could now hear the sound distinctly. That is certainly not Taoist music, he said. I'm sure that Buddhists are performing. They set off in the direction of the sound and presently saw a village of several hundred well-built houses. At the top of the street they saw a house with a flag hoisted outside the gate. The courtyard blazed with torches and a heavy smell of incense came towards them. Well, said Tripitaka, that looks better than the hollow of a hillside or a riverbank. Under such substantial eaves we can at least count on being warm and getting a little quiet sleep. You'd better not come with me, I'll go in and explain. If they say I may stay, I'll call you in. If we can't stay, you're not to rage and swear. I don't want the people to see you to start with, because you are not very good to look at, and if they take fright we shall have nowhere to stay. Tripitaka took off his broad-brimmed hat, and bareheaded with staff in hand, he went up to the door. He found it ajar, but did not dare go straight in. When he had waited for a moment, an old man came out, with a rosary hanging at his breast, mumbling his prayers as he came. Aged benefactor, said Tripitaka politely, I should like to ask you a few questions. You've arrived rather late said the old man. What do you mean, said Tripitaka? Well, you've come too late to get anything much, said he. The priests whom we are entertaining have each been given as much rice as they could eat, three hundred measures to take away, a strip of white cloth, and ten pieces of copper cash. It's a pity you've come when you have. Aged benefactor, said Tripitaka, I did not come because of the feast. 
Then why did you come? asked the old man. I am from China, and I am going to fetch the scriptures from India, said Tripitaka. Night overtook me when I was near your exalted abode, and hearing a sound of Buddhist music, I have come to ask you whether I may lodge here tonight. Sir, said the old man, it is incumbent upon those who have left the world to adhere strictly to truth. Are you aware that China is fifty-four thousand leagues away? You cannot pretend that you have come that distance, travelling all alone. Aged benefactor, you are right, said Tripitaka, but I have three disciples who have helped me over mountains and across rivers, and constantly mounted guard over me, otherwise I should never have got here. Where are they? said the old man. Please ask them to come in and rest. Tripitaka turned and called to his disciples. Monkey was by nature too restless, Pigsy too coarse, and Sandy too simple to need a second bidding. Leading the horse and shouldering the luggage, they came stumbling in, without a thought for what might come of it. The old man was so frightened that he fell flat upon the ground, mumbling, There are demons in the yard! Demons! Aged benefactor, said Tripitaka, dragging him to his feet, you need not be afraid. These are not demons. They are my disciples. How comes it, he asked, trembling, that a nice-looking gentleman like yourself has managed to get such monsters for his disciples? I know they are ugly, said Tripitaka, but they are very good at subduing dragons and tigers and capturing ogres. The old man, only half reassured, walked on slowly, supported by Tripitaka. In the courtyard were some priests reciting the scriptures. "'What's that you're reading?' cried Pigsy, raising his long snout. Suddenly catching sight of these three terrifying apparitions, the priests leapt up and fled in utter panic, upsetting the Buddhist images, stumbling, crawling and banging into one another. Highly diverted by this spectacle, the three disciples clapped their hands and roared in laughter. More frightened than ever, the priests now ran for their lives. You wretches, cried Tripitaka, you spoiled everything. No one would think that I have been teaching you and preaching to you in season and out for all these months. The ancients said, To be virtuous without instruction is superhuman. To be virtuous after instruction is reasonable. To be instructed and remain incorrigible is to be a fool. You three have just shown yourselves to be fools of the very lowest description. Fancy charging in at the gate like that, without any regard for what was going on inside, frightening our benefactor, scaring away the priests who were reading the scriptures and spoiling the whole ceremony. Don't you see that it is I who will bear the blame for all this? Thus addressed, they did not dare reply, which fortunately convinced the old man that they were indeed his disciples. It is of no consequence, he said, bowing to Tripitaka. We were just going to remove the lamps, scatter the flowers, and terminate the proceedings. Well, if you have finished the service, said Pigsy, Bring out the end-of-service wine and victuals, and we'll sup before we go to bed. Just then the inner door opened, and another old man came out, leaning on his staff. 
"'What devils are these?' he asked. "'Who have come to our pious doors in the black of night?' The first old man rose quickly, and going to meet him, said, "'Brother, calm yourself. They are not devils, but saints going to India to fetch scriptures.' The three disciples might well be better to look at, but they are good fellows. The second old man lay down his staff and bowed to the pilgrims. Then he sat down and called for tea. He had to call several times. At last, in great trepidation, several servants came in, peering anxiously at the visitors. What are those fellows up to? asked Pigsy. "'I've told them to fetch refreshments for your reverence,' said the old man. "'How many will serve us?' asked Pigsy. Eight, said the old man. "'Who are they going to serve?' asked Pigsy. "'All of you,' said the old man. "'That pasty-faced master of ours does not need more than one,' said Pigsy. "'That hairy-faced fellow can get on with two. That swarthy one needs eight to himself, and I can't do with less than twenty. You must have a very big appetite, said the old man. You'll soon see for yourself, said Pigsy. I'm not short of men, said he, and big and little thirty or forty men were found to serve. When the pilgrims had conversed amiably with the two old men for some time, everyone began to feel somewhat reassured. Tripitaka was put in the seat of honour, and before using his chopsticks began to recite the fast-breaking scripture. Pigsy was in a hurry to begin, and without waiting for the end of grace he snatched up a red lacquer wooden bowl, filled it with white rice, and tilted it straight down his throat. Not a grain was left. A servant standing near him was much astonished. "'This reverend gentleman's doing things in the wrong order,' he said. Why does he help himself to rice before helping himself to doughnut? Won't he mess his clothes? I didn't help myself to it, said Pigsy, laughing. I ate it. You didn't use your jaws, said the servant. How can you have eaten it? What nonsense you fellows talk, said Pigsy. Of course I ate it, and if you are in any doubt, watch me while I do it again. They filled his bowl again, and that fool Pigsy, in a flash, had gulped it all down. "'Father!' they cried. "'You must have a grindstone in your throat. How else can all that go down so quickly and smoothly?' By the time Tripitaka had finished reading Grace, he had got through six bowls. When the others started their meal, he continued to stuff himself with rice, bread, fruits, sweets, everything he could lay his hands on. More, more, he was soon calling to the servants. What has become of you all? Don't be so greedy, brother, said Monkey. If you only eat half your fill, it will still be better than you have fared lately in a hollow of the hills. Mind your own business, said Pigsy. The proverb says, better bury a priest alive than stop him getting his fill. "'Clear the things away,' cried Monkey, "'and don't take any notice of him.' "'I'm very sorry,' said the host, "'but it's getting late, "'and we had only steamed a ton of flour, five bushels of rice, "'and a load or two of vegetables. 
We had meant to invite some neighbours and the priests who read the service. The priests, as you know, ran away, and we did not venture to invite our neighbours, so that we were able to offer you a humble meal. If you have not had enough, I'll order more rice to be steamed. That's right, said Pigsy. Get it steamed. Meanwhile, the old men turned to Tripitaka and asked, What made you turn aside from the main road? We came to a river, said Monkey, and there seemed to be no way of getting across. So hearing a sound of cymbals coming from your house, we decided to come here and ask for a night's lodging. Did you notice anything on the river bank? All we saw was a monument, said Monkey. Well, if you went and looked again, not much more than a league from here, you would come to the Temple of the Great King of Miracles. Did you happen to see it? We did not, said Monkey. Pray, what are the miracles in question? Father, said the old man, it is this great king who year by year sends us rain in due season and blesses us with fertility. As he spoke, he wept bitterly. If he sends you rain, said Monkey, he is your good friend. How comes it that you show such distress when you speak of him? Because, said the old man, beating his breast, though his favours are many, he is a wrathful deity, and as the price of his blessings he demands each year the sacrifice of a boy or girl. And he devours them, asked Monkey. Alas, he does, said the old man. I suppose your family, too, has had to take its turn, said Monkey. Alas, said the old man, beating his breast, I and my brother here are both badly off for children. At the age of fifty I still had no child. My friends urged me to take a concubine, and at last, very unwillingly, I consented and a girl was born. She is now in her eighth year and is called Load of Gold. A fine name, said Pigsy. How came she by it? Finding myself childless, he said, I repaired bridges and roads, built temples and towers, gave alms and entertained priests. I kept an account of all I spent, and what with one thing and another, by the time my daughter was born, I had spent more than thirty catties of gold. Thirty catties make a load, and that is why she is called Load of Gold. And your brother, said Monkey. He too has only one child, said the old man. A boy called War Boy. How did he get such a name, asked Monkey. There is a statue of the God of War in his house, said the old man. And because he had prayed to this god before this child was born, it was called War Boy. The joint age of us two brothers is over a hundred and twenty, yet we only have these two children between us. But now it is our family's turn to provide the victims, and we dare not demur. It was for the welfare of these children's souls that we held this ceremony.
On hearing this unhappy tale, Tripitaka could not refrain from tears. Let me ask him a question, said Monkey. Old man, have you a considerable amount of property? I have forty or fifty acres of paddy, said he. Sixty or seventy acres of dry field, and eighty or ninety pasture fields. Then I have two or three hundred water buffaloes, some thirty horses and mules, and any number of pigs, sheep, chickens, and geese. I have more grain in my barns than we can get through, and more silk in my stores than we can wear, and about the house we have everything we could possibly need. "'If you are as well off as that,' said Monkey, "'it's a pity you are so economical.' "'Why do you call me economical?' said the old man. "'If you are as well off as this,' said Monkey, "'I cannot understand why you allow your daughter and nephew to be sacrificed. "'By spending fifty pieces of silver you could buy a girl, "'and for a hundred pieces you could buy a boy. "'Would not this be better than losing your own posterity?' "'You don't understand,' said the old man. "'The god is not as easy to deceive. "'He often comes to the village and goes about among us.' "'Then you must know what he looks like,' said Monkey. "'We don't see him,' said he. "'We only smell a strange-scented wind. "'That is how we know that he has come. "'We hasten to burn great quantities of incense,' and all of us, young and old, bow down towards this wind. The god knows everything that goes on here, even the exact date at which each of us was born. He would not accept any child that was not ours, let alone two hundred pieces of silver. Not even a thousand or ten thousand pieces could buy two children of exactly the same appearance and age. That is true, said Monkey, but all the same— I should very much like to have a look at this boy of yours. Chen Ching, the old man's brother, hurried in, and bringing out the child, war boy, in his arms, set him down in the lamplight. Knowing nothing of the terrible fate that was in store for it, the child capered about, munching at some fruit that it had brought tucked into its wide sleeves. Monkey, after having a look at it, murmured a spell, shook himself, and changed into an exact counterpart of War Boy. The two children joined hands and capered together in the lamplight. The father, in his astonishment at the miracle, flung himself upon his knees. "'We are not worthy,' said Tripitaka. "'Pray, rise.' "'A moment ago I was talking to him,' said the old man, and now he has suddenly become the exact image of my child. When I call, both come running up. This is more than I can bear. Pray, go back to your usual form. Monkey rubbed his cheek and in a moment had resumed his proper shape. Father, said the old man, never would I have believed that such a miracle was possible. Was I like your child? asked Monkey. Like, said the old man, I should think you were. Face, voice, height, everything was right. And wait, too, said Monkey, as you would have found if you had tested us with your scales. No doubt, no doubt, cried the old man, in wait, too. Do you think I should have been accepted for sacrifice? asked Monkey. 
I don't doubt it, said the old man. Of course you would be accepted. I'm going to save this child's life, that you may have posterity to burn incense to your soul in time to come. I am ready to be sacrificed to the great king. Father, said the old man, if you indeed perform this act of compassion, I will give your master a thousand pieces of silver to provide for his further journey to the west. And won't you give anything to me? asked Monkey. But you'll have been sacrificed, said he. You won't be there to receive it. How do you mean I shan't be there, said Monkey. The god will have eaten you, said the old man. Do you think he'd dare? said Monkey. If he doesn't eat you, said the old man, it will only be because you smell worse than I believe. Heavens will be done, said Monkey. If he eats me, that proves I was meant to die young. If he doesn't eat me, that's my luck. Anyway, you may sacrifice me. Chen Ching poured out suitable thanks, and added another five hundred pieces of silver to the sum he promised. Meanwhile his brother did not utter a word, but leant against the door, weeping bitterly. I fear you are worrying about your daughter, said Monkey, coming up to him. Father, said the old man, kneeling in front of him, I cannot part with her. It is something that my nephew is to be saved, but I have no other child, and if she is taken from me, who will there be to howl at my funeral? How can I give her up? Go at once and steam another five pecks of rice and prepare some good vegetables. That's the way to win that long-snouted priest's heart. He will be only too glad to change himself into your girl, or anything else you ask of him. Then we'll both go and be sacrificed together. Brother, said Pigsy, horrified at this suggestion, you can play with your own life as you please, but you have no right to drag me into the adventure. Brother, said Monkey, the proverb says, even a chicken must work for its food. We have both had a sumptuous feast. Instead of complaining that you haven't been given enough, you ought to be ready to do what you can do for these people in their little trouble. I'm no good at transformations, said Pigsy. Nonsense, said Monkey. You have thirty-six transformations. Pigsy, said Tripitaka, he's perfectly right. To save one life is better than building a seven-storied pagoda. You ought to show your gratitude and you would be accumulating secret merit into the bargain. You have nothing better to do tonight, and have no excuse for not going with your brother. You don't know what you're saying, master, said Pigsy. I can change into a mountain, a tree, a scabby elephant, a water buffalo, or a pot-bellied rogue, but changing into a small girl is a much more difficult matter. Don't believe him, said Monkey, but bring out your child. Chun hurried into the house and came out carrying the child load of gold. With him came his wife and concubine and all the household, banging their heads on the floor and imploring Pigsy to save the child. The little girl was wearing an emerald fillet with pearl pendants, a red hemp thread bodice shot with yellow, a green satin coat with chessboard pattern collar, a plum-blossom red silk skirt, 
toad's head patterned pink hemp thread shoes and gold kneed raw silk drawers. She, like her cousin, was nibbling at a piece of fruit. "'Here's the girl, Pigsy,' said Monkey. "'Change quickly into a replica of her, and we'll go off and be sacrificed.' "'How am I to look as smart as that?' said Pigsy. "'Make haste,' said Monkey, "'or you'll feel my cudgel.' The fool wagged his head, muttered a spell, and said, "'Change!' His head began to change, and soon became indistinguishable from that of the child, but his big belly remained just the same, and quite spoiled the resemblance. "'Go on!' cried Monkey, laughing. "'You may beat me blue,' said Pigsy, "'but I swear I can't change any further. "'What's to be done?' "'You can't stay like that with a girl's head and a priest's belly,' said Monkey. "'You're neither a man nor a woman. "'It's a bad mess. "'I must see what I can do with you.' "'He blew upon Pigsy with magic breath, "'and immediately the change was completed, "'and he became exactly like the child from head to foot.' "'To avoid any mistake, you had better take the real children away,' said Monkey. "'Then we shall know where we are. "'Give them some more fruit, for fear they should start crying. "'If the great king heard them, he might come and look into it. "'Well, now we're both ready. "'But how are we served, trussed or tied, "'and shall we be hashed or boiled?' "'Look here, brother,' said Pigsy. "'It's no good trying these tricks on me. "'All this isn't in my line at all.' "'I assure you,' said Mr. Chun, "'there is no question of trussing or anything of that sort. "'We use two large red lacquer dishes. "'We shall ask you to sit in them, "'and they will then be put upon two table-tops, "'and a couple of strong young fellows will carry each of you to the temple.' "'Excellent,' said Monkey. "'Bring the dishes, and we'll take a trial trip, "'just to see how it goes.' "'The old man brought out the dishes. "'Monkey and Pigsy sat in them, "'and four young fellows lifted them on to the table-tops, "'and having taken the victims for a ride round the courtyard, "'set them down again in the front room. "'If it was just a question of being carried about like that,' said Pigsy, "'I'd be quite content to do it all night, "'but the idea of being carried to a temple and eaten is not so funny.' "'All you have got to do is watch me,' said Monkey. "'While he is slicing me up and eating me, "'you can jump up and run away.' "'That's all right if he begins with the boy,' said Pigsy. "'But how do we know he isn't going to begin with the girl?' "'They always begin with the boy,' said Mr Chun. "'Once or twice some plucky fellow has hidden at the back of the temple or under a table, "'and it was always the boy that I saw eaten first. "'That's luck,' said Pigsy. "'While they were talking, there was a great din of gongs and drums outside "'and the glow of many lanterns. "'Someone opened the gate and cried, "'Bring out the boy and girl!' "'The old men burst into loud weeping, while the four strong men carried the two victims away.
together in the end they escaped with their lives you must listen to what is told in the next chapter Listening to Monkey, an abridged translation of the great Chinese classic Journey to the West, written by Wu Cheng An, translated by Arthur Whaley, and narrated by Bob Jones.